Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 269 and it's proudly brought to you by our ever-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support and if you'd like to support the show and aren't already, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. My name is Jason Heaton and I'm joined as ever by my friend and co-host north of the border, James Stacy. James, uh, welcome back to... Uh, to further north than you were last week? Yeah, I was down and away for the last six nights or so in uh, as far south as I've ever gone. I was in Costa Rica for a, a family uh, sort of wedding and a little mini vacation with uh, my wife and my father. And it, it was good. We got back last night and uh, technically I'm, I'm off for uh, today, which gives us a little bit of time to record this and get a few other things in order before jumping back into what is kind of the start of my 2024. You know, I, <laughs> I took a good portion of this month off yeah, that's and right. came back to watches and wonders invites mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of, um, you know, booking meetings and that kind of stuff ahead, which is a uh, daunting, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, feeling pretty well kind of rested, got a little bit of a tan and uh, we'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a report on that and, and some other stuff throughout the show. How, how have you been? Uh, it's been considerably quieter here than than in your world. We are amazingly headed into uh, a bit of a warm up here. In fact, quite an extended heat wave, uh, at least for this part of the world coming up. I'm guessing it's going to swing your way as well. And it's 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 been a weird winter anyway. But it's I and as much as I enjoy skiing in winter, it has been a particular boon to my uh, fan dance training. You know, we talked about I signed up for the mm. the uh, that event over in Wales that's uh, coming up in in mid June. And, uh, it, it involves a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of outdoor running around with a backpack on. And, and so this, this warmer weather and the lack of ice on the ground has been, been kind of helpful for me. And that's, that's what I've been doing. So I've just been, just been keeping at it. I'm running about three or four days a week and nice hitting the rowing machine and swimming at the gym and then trying to do a day a week on the, on the stair climber. But man, is that boring? Wow. Not your thing. You know, the scenery doesn't change and it's like, it's not the most I don't want to say intuitive, but but it doesn't remind me of actually hiking up a hill. It's it or even climbing a flight of stairs. It, there's something sort of strangely artificial about it. But I, I I'm doing it because it, it works the muscles that need to be worked, and so I'll I'll keep that up. I find those machines are a little bit like ellipticals, where you have to conform to the mechanics of the machine. Yeah, it's a it's a how would I describe it? It's like a geometry problem almost. <laughs> Where you're like, well, I know what you're simulating. You're hitting the same muscles I would use to do big steps. Yeah, yeah. But it, you're right. It doesn't feel like climbing a hill or walking uphill. It does, and it doesn't really feel like stairs because the stair doesn't move as you walk. Right, right, yeah, right. Which so it's it's a little bit of a, a weird thing to get into. I, I do know what you mean. And I'm mildly uh, like terrified it, of falling off. The, oh yeah, I always worry about like missing a step. Yeah dropping a knee on one of those things. And then before I can get my leg out of the way, the next one comes down on mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not to mention the embarrassment of being that guy in the gym who falls off the, the stairmaster, and someone will catch it on video. Sure. Especially if you've got like, you know, a big backpack on and, yeah. and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's great. <laughs> yep. That'll be on yeah. YouTube or something going viral at some point. Yeah. Yeah. When you're on it, are you are you watching anything? Like I find that's the the key for me. I don't. I couldn't do two minutes on my treadmill without like a YouTube video or something like that. Well, I've only done one session, and I'm headed back there again tomorrow. But um, I really should. I, I need to watch something because I, I did 45 minutes. 
uh, last week, this week I'm gonna I'm gonna up it to an hour and just oh, just staring at the the little screen, well, the little display. <laughs> no, I had music on, which which was a mistake. Okay. I, it was my first time. I mean, I, I just don't use gym equipment often enough to like even understand how they work. So it took a while for me to kind of get used to like setting it up. And then once I got going, I was kind of conscious of the fact that I'm I'm in a public gym. Well, it's not public, I guess, but it's, you know, members only kind of a gym facility and there are people waiting for machines. And I don't want to be the guy who's like sitting there fiddling with the screen for, you know, 15 minutes. And so I just popped my, my AirPods in and, and listened to some music for 45 minutes. And that was a bit dreary, but this machine has like this console on it that has links out to Netflix and prime video and whatever. So I, I guess I can log in and I could watch a show. Um, we'll see. I'll figure something out tomorrow, but yeah, and and speaking of the fan dance, I I hadn't actually officially signed up until a couple of days ago. They just ran the winter version of it um, on Saturday, I think. Ooh, and I've I've caught a couple of Instagram stories from from people that that did it. And you know, for those in the UK, you're you're familiar with the, there's a there was a, a named storm. I think it was Isha, I believe, uh, that that blew through the the UK over the past week with you know, almost hurricane force winds. <laughs> you should have seen these guys up on the top of, of some of the, the mountains there, like just, just getting blown. You couldn't even hear them talking or whatever. But in watching a couple of those, those videos from the winter version, I learned that they were filling up in terms of the, the signups for the summer version. So I quickly went on the website and put my name in the hat. So I'm, I'm officially signed up for that. And then I learned that our buddy Felix, uh, who uh, has sent in a couple of Q and A questions for us? He's a he's a Brit, but he's living in the French Alps and does a lot of uh, kind of ultra marathons and running and whatnot. Uh, he signed up as well, and we've been communicating around that. And so it'll be fun to see him there. And if look, if anybody else is up for it, uh, feel free to join. I think it'd be a, a fun little informal get together. I'm certainly not going to be chatting or or doing anything uh, terribly uh, social during the the event itself but uh, afterwards if, if there are any folks over there i'm happy to buy the first round of beers for for anybody else that's doing the event so um nice yeah and and i'm doing it through the sf experience uh which uh, there are a couple of organizations that run these races so i signed up through through them and so did felix so that'll be fun and i booked uh, booked the plane tickets and kashani's coming along and we got a little rental cottage right in the brecon beacons to kind of be a base camp uh before and, and a little bit after it's kind of where I've been, been lately. I've also uh, managed to sell four watches on on the Slack group. Uh, for anybody that's hesitating to to sign up for TGN or even to join our our subscriber Slack group, uh, one of the the big benefits of it is is a, a really kind of a safe space and a group of trusted folks that um, not only communicate about every possible subject under the sun. Uh, we have a pretty robust uh, sales channel on there, and I managed to yeah. sell a few watches and thin the herd a little bit. So that felt pretty good. It's a good feeling for sure. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, I've sold I've sold a handful on there recently and got got the replies back. Everybody's happy. The prices were all really good. I I see a lot of kind of like like kind of friend prices happening in there, which I like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like stuff where you go like, oh, that's a you know, that's a pretty good price. That's fair. That seems yeah. pretty fair. And right. and the other thing that seems is uh, for the most part, and this is I think how you know you have a, a decent sales form, whether it's I don't know Gigi or Craigslist or facebook marketplace or ebay or whatever but like if some if things that are priced correctly popular things are priced correctly they sell quickly Mm -hmm. almost immediately in some cases yeah so that's nice and and in in contrast to me thinning the herd you uh you added a a watch uh actually last last week uh during the episode that we recorded well it wasn't last week actually it was before your trip but uh went live Mm -hmm. last week and people got to listen in on a on a live transaction of you uh actually scoring a watch we might we might have started a trend here uh 
no promises for this week. Uh, I'm not planning on buying anything. But <laughs> Yeah, I don't know when we'll do another episode of The Watchlist, but the first one was quite successful. We got a, a lot of great feedback, so if you skipped 268, go back and check it out. I'm going to talk about the watch when we get to the wrist check, but I've got it on my wrist at this moment. It, it arrived also uh, into the country uh, from, in this case, I came from Costa Rica, and the watch came from Moldova, but it arrived yesterday, and I picked it up last night uh, <laughs> in the midst of a small snowstorm, but I felt like uh, I could brave my way to FedEx to grab it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, other than that, like I said, I was, you know, I've, I've been away for the last six nights, so I'm feeling a little, little bit rusty, a little bit out of the work mode, but uh, returned with this watch, and uh, and I'm excited. I mean, you were talking about uh, kind of exercise. I, I, we had a pretty active overall, you know, week or so away, but uh, I, I didn't have my activity goals met every day. I think I missed one day in terms of the goals from the Aura Ring. Uh, so I'm pretty pumped. Uh, right after we record this, I'm going to jump on the treadmill for an hour maybe an hour plus and, uh, and just kind of hang out on there and, and get back into it. It was one of the few things I, I sort of, I was kind of delighted to realize that I was missing was my, my sort of six days a week, uh, on the, on the treadmill. So I'm, I'm excited to have that back. And then as far as travel for me, I have actually pretty busy next few weeks. Uh, the next trip for me, I leave on Sunday afternoon for um uh, like maybe 16 hours <laughs> in Jacksonville, Florida. So it's for a talking watches thing. I'm not there long enough to do any sort of a hangout. Uh, I leave Sunday uh, afternoon in Toronto. Of course, you can't fly direct, so I spent. I'm going to spend significantly more time in planes and airports than in Florida. But uh, I'll be in northern Florida for a few hours for this shoot, and <laughs> uh, and then I go directly back to the airport to come back for Monday night. Um, wow, uh, back to Toronto. So that that one's a quick one for a talking watches with a guest uh, I've met before, and I'm pretty excited about. So. Stay tuned for that um, in the future. Uh, you know, ideally, I would have had a little bit more time uh, to hang out and, and maybe, you know, I considered even making my way down to Miami because it's a LVMH watch week and also huh. uh, Swatch watch days. Oh, wow. Yeah. This this coming week. And uh, but it just didn't work out with sort of family considerations. And then uh, some other like I get back and I think we're I'm back. We have a special guest yeah. that we're recording next week. And then I jump on another plane for, um, the Oris, uh, sort of, uh, big press launch for the year, uh, is, uh, is over, uh, just over the, the kind of crux between January and February. So crazy times. Yeah. Not home for, for, for very long, but this gives me enough time to get home, change my packing <laughs> scenario for cooler yeah. climates and then head back out for, uh, for another trip. And then, home for a few days and then it's a uh, aspen ice race Jeez. well we'll have no shortage of uh, updates during chit chat over the next uh, few few episodes i think yeah yeah and then i guess the the other thing on there because i said i would talk about it and, and i'm more than willing to be honest is uh, is dry january i did not remain dry uh <laughs> partly due to some some enablers in the slack um i, I think i ended up drinking on the 19th so i did 18 days not bad for me all yeah, things considered not bad. yeah uh, had a couple of beers at the wedding. Had a couple of beers out in uh, Nosara. I'll, I'll do a full download on the trip in a few minutes. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It didn't. Um, I, I would say they didn't scratch the itch that I wanted them to. The beers. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. It was. It was nice to have a nice alternative to water. But I think. I think I'm. St- I've gotten to the point where not only just after the 18 days, but just in terms of the last six months, I think I might like non-alcoholic beer like about almost as much as huh. normal yeah. beer. Yeah. Like maybe with the exception of a couple of my absolute favorite IPAs, which I wasn't going to find in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to make up you know, the joke that we, we decided on Slack was every drink 
that every drink was an extra day, which I don't think will be much of a deal uh, deal breaker for me <laughs> or an issue simply because I, I don't think I'm going to go back to drinking very much. Um, you know, I think I think if 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 I'm on a, a press trip or or I'm seeing friends and we're having a beer, that's fine. But otherwise, I think it, it I'm definitely feeling a lot better, sleeping better, enjoying uh, feeling this way uh, with without having that on my plate. So yeah, how how are you feeling with it? Uh, I'm yeah, I'm doing great. I I well, we're 24 days in. I haven't had a drink since uh, New Year's Eve, and mm-hmm. I, yeah, like you, I I feel better. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sleeping well, and mm-hmm. what I found is just you know, I I don't know if it's a, a lack of inflammation caused by alcohol, but my kind of the weird kind of joint pains and aches and pains I get after exercise have, have largely gone away, and uh, most surprisingly, you know, I was always getting sort of um, evening. Uh, nasal congestion not to not to share too much on the show here but yeah sure um i I think you know that's all part of inflammation as well and it you know a lot of times people will have a a glass of wine and they'll get congested but i mean even without drinking um i was always getting this kind of nasal congestion towards the afternoon evening almost every day and i was like what is causing this and i could not figure it out and lo and behold uh that that's largely gone away in the past couple of weeks and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to lay that at the feet of, uh, of dry January also. And I, yeah, I think like you going forward, it's, it's going to be very sparing, you know, alcohol consumption on my end. I, I'm almost tempted to just kind of keep going with, with the dry January because I just don't feel any particular urge to, to have a drink, you know, at best maybe a whiskey once a week or something. And then if there's kind of a social outing, uh, you know, it's always kind of nice to, to be able to have a beer yeah you know, drink with with friends or something so yeah we'll see but so far so good yeah and the the other thing i found is is the aura ring really gives me when, when you take that much time off and you start to see your heart rate variability like almost in my case triple mm. mm-hmm. and my resting heart rate and the speed at which my body gets to the resting heart rate when i'm sleeping yeah. is significantly better if i haven't had even one beer oh and then yeah. at the wedding i had two beers and then i had they had a, a really lovely scotch uh, a glen morangi mm. mm. And uh, I had a, a Glen Meringue and it was, I mean, man, it was just so good. <laughs> like just absolutely delicious. I savored every last oh, drop yeah. of it. I just, yeah. just had one, a, a, a very simple, straightforward pour. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could see that on my aura ring in 20 minutes. Oh, really? Wow. Heart rate went up 18 beats a minute. Huh. Like I was up into the high 80s. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and then it stayed that way for 24 hours. The sleep was not good that evening yeah and i woke up the next morning kind of feeling a little bleary and i was like man that the whiskey was delicious don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. but i'm gonna this is a battle i'm gonna pick and choose moving forward i think like if i get a chance if we're in geneva and you and i are together and they've got something decent on the menu cool yeah but it's like other than that i think i'm good yeah yeah right well and the pricing in geneva will keep you keep you to one anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that'll be frowned upon in the expense report yeah right (laughs) If you want, we can jump right into a wrist check because I think mine will be a little bit extra as I, I've got this. Uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I'll kick it off because mine's not a great surprise, and you've got a lot more interesting stuff to say about your new pick. I'm I'm back to my Pelagos FXD. Uh, last episode, I was wearing my my Seamaster, my twenty two fifty four, but I, nice. you know, I've got to be honest that the FXD doesn't leave my wrist very often these days, and other than lap swimming in the pool, uh, where the the Garmin does such a cool job tracking my laps. Um, yeah, but the FXD goes right back on and it's been there for, man, for, for, for almost months straight. So that's, that's what I've got on. Yeah. Killer. 
yeah and it's it's just funny and i kind of just switch up straps and got some some fun straps of course from watches of espionage and from cincy strap company and, and of course our own tgn nato i mean it's i mean there aren't many choices uh, in terms of materials for this watch but uh, i've got bags and bags and hundreds of natos so i'm well set sure. in that regard but uh yeah nice all right, let's uh, let's dive into your new arrival, a, a full day old in your in your household. Yeah, for sure. So first up, because people have asked and, and will con- probably continue to ask, so a two-parter here for wrist check. One, uh, for all of the Costa Rica trip, I wore the Longines LE from oh, really? Lodinke. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, it's handy to have a GMT. Love that it's um, titanium with the bracelet. Uh, so I, I went down and just left its stock. I wore it on the bracelet and I dove with it. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, so, you know, the screw down crown, 100 meters, no real sweat. Obviously not that useful for timing, but I had this. Uh, I had your Garmin G1 Solar oh, yeah. uh, Descent that you sent me, which is nice. that might be my favorite Garmin I've ever used. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The battery life is ridiculous. I really like the simplicity of the screen. I'm very used to the experience of the the full-on uh, descent that I have, the yeah. Mark II S, yeah. which I really like. My wife wore, wore that. Sarah took that for diving. But with the G1 and that more simple kind of the Instinct-style screen, not only is the battery life a lot better, it's just very clear what, what you're getting from it. Yeah. And it doesn't weigh anything. Uh, I, I really like it. The The black case, the black strap, it's 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 really quite nice. So that, that was a good one. The Longines did beautifully. Really can't complain. What time zone were you in? Just out of curiosity, is it's it just one back. Okay, yeah. So same as us here. The same yeah. same time zone as you. Yeah, cool. And uh, and so that was super easy. And yeah, super super happy with the Longines. It was great. But I got home uh, to a, a missed message from uh, FedEx saying that the watch was a day early, which is good. It would have arrived uh, tomorrow, or I guess actually two days early. Hmm. It was supposed to arrive on the twenty fifth. Hmm. And so I went and picked it up before having dinner with uh, my parents before they left uh, the Toronto area. So if you missed the previous episode, we talked about watches that we have always kind of been interested in, but for whatever reason, didn't actually buy or haven't yet. (laughs) And during the course of that episode, I talked about how much I've always enjoyed the Chronosport UDT. And the Breitling version of that is called the Pluton. And in just chit-chatting with you and searching around on eBay, (laughs) I came across a Pluton I had never seen before. Yeah which is this Diavoli Rossi special edition, which is probably not like issued to the Diavoli Rossi aerobatics team. I actually am still looking into the history of this team. I I know that they definitely did something from 1958 to like 1959. So I'm not really sure. I'm not 100% sure why there is a, you know, mid to late 80s edition uh, (laughs) Breitling for them. But I'll I'll get into the history. We can get into that later. Right now, we're just talking about the watch. It's only been on my wrist for, you know, 12 hours or maybe a little bit more than that. But I've always wanted a watch in this vibe. If if you don't know it, uh, you know, the UDT was in some ways made famous by its connection to the special forces community and also in uh, Magnum PI. And obviously, if you're deep into Magnum PI, you would know the connections there for that character's history. Uh, a Chronosport UDT is a watch I've always loved, but they're known to be quite fragile, difficult to repair due to the limited quantity of available movements and people who are willing to work on them. And it, in the end, they can be quite expensive for a watch that may let you down in some way, but I still really like it a lot. And uh, in this scenario, I was able to get the watch for $500, which is probably a quarter of what a decent UDT would cost. 
it has a wild i mean it has the actual like insignia of the red <laughs> devils the italian red devils on the dial which is this insane sort of shooting forward red devil character um very sort of mid-century plain insignia it's very cool it's got a little bit of red text saying di volerasi and a stormio cazia again to the italians in the audience my apology of any pronunciation i'm doing my best um <laughs> The watch itself uh, seems more common in photos on Google search as a steel version, so a bare steel or brushed steel with a white dial, which I think would be very oh, rad. Wow. Yeah. But this is a black PVD model with a black dial, which in my mind takes it a lot closer aesthetically to the UDT uh, vibe, which I like quite a bit. And, and this case is absolutely worn down. The PVD is beautifully kind of patinated. Um, so much so that uh, I, I'm wearing it on a NATO, on a TGN NATO with brushed steel hardware, not matching black hardware. Yeah. And I think it actually works because there's so much, you know, bare steel or rubbed open steel. Oh, cool. Uh, on the case and the bezel. I, I, I think it suits it quite nicely. I, I was wearing it on a black crown and buckle chevron, mm -hmm. which has like a herringbone pattern and black hardware. And it's fine, but I could not get, I, I did it for like, 45 minutes last night trying to get the fit just perfect Yeah, on the Chevron. And finally, I kind of got frustrated because it was either like if it fit my wrist perfectly, then there was too little tail. And if it fit my if I if I adjusted it so the tail went where I wanted it in the keeper, it was a little bit too tight. And uh, finally, I just switched it for a gray NATO and I'm super happy with it. The watch itself is 41 millimeters across the bezel. Um, somewhere more like 42 millimeters at the case. It has three pushers and a screw down crown, 11.4 millimeters thick and a just under 47 millimeters lug to lug. Brand new, it would have been 100 meters water resistance. I will not be testing that at all. <laughs> the crystal and dial are in really good shape. There's actually a little bit of loom left. I was quite surprised. Huh. Uh, so it's 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 got a, just a tiny bit left, especially on the markers. Not dissimilar in many ways to my aerospace, but that that watch was at least twelve years newer than this one. And then it has this very distinctive bezel, which is both distinctive not only within the UDT vibe, which you normally either had a compass bezel or an elapsed time bezel. This kind of combines both. It's this bezel that we've only really ever seen, at least to my knowledge, and, and I'm sure the Slack is. Uh, can, can show us a few others, but like Chase Durr used to have a watch. I think, Jason, you brought this up when I was sharing the photos. Also called the UDT, I think. Yeah, a s similar sort of vibe, but it's this mixed bezel where the you really do have to look at the photo, and I'll include a photo in the show notes, um, but there's a, a blend of kind of on the top face of the bezel, very tightly packed compass markings, and then as the bezel curves away and down towards the case, between the sort of um, grip points, these very kind of pronounced grip points, it has an elapsed time bezel. So you kind of get both. I'm not going to use the compass, obviously, but elapsed time is really nice to have. Despite the fact that the watch has a chronograph and an alarm, the ability to run a second time, um, very similar in, in loose functionality to something like um, the Aqualand, obviously without the dive functions. Mm -hmm. um, so you have a kind of traditional two pushers on the right flank the the you know three o'clock flank side of the case um for starting and stopping the chronograph and other stuff like that and then you have sort of a mode pusher at uh, eight o'clock on the case um all the functions seem to work except for unless i'm doing something wrong and i don't think i am but i'll, I'll keep trying i don't think the the chime is working uh -huh. so like the alarm doesn't actually sound yeah i wouldn't use the alarm or the hourly chime 
so it's not that big a deal. But obviously, that's up to you. I, I don't know if that's a common thing or if I simply have it set incorrectly. I have the alarm apparently enabled and with the little symbol saying that it should chime and it didn't. Hmm. I'm sure it'll go go off at the wrong time. You'll be in the middle of some <laughs> talking watches with <laughs> down in Florida and it'll, yeah. it'll start going off. And, yeah. It's definitely possible. Yeah, that, that's yeah. definitely Does possible. That would be a very James thing that to that's, happen. That's uh, a common malfunction of these. I didn't the even know there was a backlight. Well, maybe yours doesn't. I'm not sure. I don't know which years had it or whatever, but I know that some people... Uh, have said that the backlight uh, does not work. It'd be, it'd be cool if it does, given the, that it's old. And if it has a little bit of loom, it'd be kind of cool if you had a, a backlight. Um, I will get back to you on the backlight. Yeah. I'm in too bright of a space to test it at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I was setting it in in a dimmer space last night and didn't notice a backlight. I also don't see a backlight listed in the oh okay um, the manual that I found for this reference. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah. May- maybe that maybe later on in the run of yeah. Plutons, they had a backlight. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, if this one has, if this one is supposed to have a backlight, I don't believe it has one that functions. But this is an eight zero one nine one, and the case back says, Pace Military Division Registered Model eight two seven two, and uh, oh, I had said it's a hundred meters water resistance. It is two hundred meters water resistant. Whoa. Yeah, 20 okay. ATM is what it right. says on the case back. So I had that one off by a bit, but that is right because a UDT is 200 as well. So that makes sense. Interesting you mentioned the the Aqualand because I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the movement in these is a Miyota analog digital movement that Breitling sourced. And, and if that's the case, that would have been around the same time period as the Aqualand. And maybe back then Miyota was, I mean, if it was citizen owned back then, it would have probably been the same movement supplier. And that was kind of the kind of the dawn of that analog digital era. Um, it's kind of fun to kind of trace that that history. You know, we, we talk about the aerospace a lot and I feel like the aerospace came out of the watch you're wearing at some point, just, mm-hmm. just slightly later. Yeah, and the Jupiter. And the Jupiter, yeah, yeah. It's pretty longstanding on the show that you and I are both kind of nerds for these analog digital watches. Mm-hmm. I think they're deeply cool. I adore my Aqualand. I, I loved my aerospace and kind of wish I hadn't sold it. And the, the aerospace is... The airspace that I had was not even an Evo or or the ones with the upgraded screen, which did have the backlight. Yeah. But the clarity of the screen on the Pluton really can't be compared to what you get in the aerospace. Mm-hmm. The aerospace had this incredibly crisp, gold-toned oh, yeah. Um, yeah. screen that was easy to read. The top screen tells you what function you're using. The bottom screen is the function. So that way you can really operate it with no crown or just the crown, which yeah. is kind of the aerospace's trick. Right. Whereas this has three pushers to basically do the same function set. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but the other side of this is the little tiny screen at the bottom on this is very small and the text is very small, but mine is in nice shape. Hmm. It doesn't seem to have any dead pixels or missing digits, which apparently is an issue. Maybe that'll happen to mine in the future. Who knows? But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed. It's like, it's comfortable. I think it looks cool. It doesn't look or feel like any of my other watches, which is really fun. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I don't know much of the history of this specific version of the Pluton in terms of its connection with Divoli Rossi or the history of Divoli. That's all stuff I get to experience and learn about moving forward. And, and if you know something about it, by, sh- by all means, feel free to uh, drop me a note on the Slack or send an email to thegraynato at gmail.com. I've got it on a NATO right now, and uh, I, I'm just in love. The The bezel is also the sound. I'll, I'll see if we can get it on, on the mic. It's is really great. It's a 60-click bezel with this really pleasing um, kind of quality to it. 
I'm not sure that'll necessarily come through. Now I got to spin it back to uh, <laughs> pip at eight. Let's see here. Is it bidirectional or unidirectional? Unidirectional, okay. like a dive bezel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fun. I mean, I I I love that it came together during our episode last time. But also, it's, yeah. it just goes to show that like you don't have to spend a fortune to find something just really fun. And and part of the yep. the fun of it is this this discovery period where you get something old and somewhat obscure, and then you get to dig in and do all this research, and then you'll you know you'll find there's like this whole subculture and community online of yeah. Diavoli Rossi, you know, fans or owners or something, and. Yeah, that's a that's a wild piece, and then you know all the fun with with strap changes and is it a, is it a twenty millimeter or twenty two? It's a twenty. Yeah, okay, twenty. Perfect. The only thing I could find quite concretely about this specific model in terms of like people nerding out about it, where people were suggesting to buy this one mm. to get the movement for their oh, UDT. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's less desirable being a little bit weirder with the, yeah. you know, the the aerobatic team insignia and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think you you know you're up to very very low let's say between 1200 and 1800 dollars if you want a pluton and they're pretty nice mm-hmm. I, I think they're pretty cool yeah um and then like i said you might even pay a premium over that for a udt and definitely a decent one and then you deal with all of these you know this is like the italian car mm-hmm. of analog digital quartz watches <laughs> out there because they're just not known to be especially reliable and, yeah. I, and i'm fine with that if this one fails on me at some point i had the whole experience yeah that's the whole pluton yeah udt experience so yeah that's uh that's the uh the, the, the very weird but uh for me quite delightful uh new brightling and, and it's nice to to have to return back to having a Breitling, you know, I, I, I immediately sent a message to watches of espionage and said, I'm, I'm at least 5% sketchier. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. And it's good timing too. He's, he's now selling these um, black hardware, uh, yep. versions of his NATO straps, which he posted a picture of one on like an SBS CWC and oof, boy, it looks good. I yeah. feel like, um, feel like I almost need a watch to match that strap. It just looks, it looks really cool. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping, hoping no, probably that'll be the direction I go for, um, for a, a strap for this one. Uh, if I want mm-hmm. one with black hardware, I love the idea of green black on this watch with the red, a little bit of red on yeah. the dial, which I think could be yeah. really nice. So we'll see how that goes right now. I'm going to rock it on the TGN NATO and just kind of enjoy it. Um, yeah. I think it could also probably work pretty well on a leather, mm-hmm. uh, just have to be, it just being the pilot's watch. Like why not? Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I understand that these certainly aren't for everybody, but I, I really enjoy just kind of the nerdy specificity of, a, of an analog digital watch and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, that's one I always like to explore. And there's so many great ones from Seiko as well that don't cost, you know, into into a thousand plus dollars. Right. Uh, so even if you can't snag one of these for the price that I got, there's a lot out there for sure. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Fun to, fun to uh, experience the, the the acquisition of it on on the episode and then the, uh, the delivery of it, the following episode. So kind of closes the loop. Super cool. Well, let's, uh, let's chat a little bit about your trip. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, we don't need to make it too much, but I figure I can do 15 or 20 minutes, uh, on the trip. I was, I was down there for uh, six nights. You went for a family, family event, right? A wedding or something. Yep. Yeah. A wedding in the family. Yeah. So I had several cousins and aunts and uncles and that sort of thing also coming down. My party specifically was my wife, Sarah, and my dad. And, and so it's nice, you know, uh, to, to be able to spend some time with family and to make it a real vacation. I didn't work at all. Mm-hmm. I ba- barely touched email. I, my inbox is a complete nightmare, uh, <laughs> having come back. But um, 
I've spent a lot of time in Mexico over the years. I've been to Hawaii. And in my mind, Costa Rica kind of blends the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the first thing you know about Costa Rica is it mostly operates on USD. Mm. Uh, so it's not as inexpensive as parts of Mexico can be. You're not finding, you know, $1 beers very often, that sort of thing. Like it, it, it's a, diff- a slightly different sort of vibe. Yeah. But, and this is a big but compared to, <laughs> big but, um, <laughs> compared to Hawaii, it's a like a four and a half hour direct flight from Toronto to San Jose. Really? Wow. Oh, yeah. man. It's pretty fast. It's one hour time change. If you compare that to going to Hawaii, which is pretty convenient from Vancouver when I lived there, it's not that convenient to go from, say, New York, Toronto, that sort of thing to, mm-hmm. to Hawaii. Yeah. So there's that. There's two main airports, San Jose and Liberia. Uh, so we flew in and out of SJO, which is San Jose. It's uh, like a 20-gate airport, mm. fairly modern. The international terminal is quite modern, really nice, didn't, really didn't have any trouble. Uh, with that at all. Um, and we basically had three phases to the trip. So we had a couple days um, near San Jose, which circled around the wedding and dinners and that sort of stuff, seeing family. And then we had a couple of days in Nosara, which is out uh, essentially due west to the Pacific coast. Mm-hmm. And then we had a night uh, back in San Jose so that we could make an early flight the next morning. I would say if you go, you should definitely rent a car. I'm not sure that you could exist without a car. Oh, yeah. Especially in, in and around. We're really, actually, I don't think we could have done anything we did without a car. They have Uber, which is fine, and worked really well to, uh, for people who needed it. Um, but I did it where I landed, went to a rental desk. You'd hop on a little shuttle. They take you essentially across the street from the airport. And right there, you have kind of the mainstay of the standard airports, Hampton, Hilton Inn, all those sorts of things, and the main spot to pick up and drop off rental cars, which is super convenient to have them in the same parking lot basically Mm -hmm. and then all of those hotels are running basically a constant shuttle 24 hours a day to to the airport which is four or five minutes all of that was really simple you land in san jose and you are essentially just kind of just outside of the city Mm -hmm. and you you have access to you know there's there's kind of the quote-unquote nicer area like escazoo and uh, Alahewa, and then we had a hotel booked um, just north of of the city, up in the hills, which looked quite nice. And, and a bunch of my family was also there. It's, it's called the um, Hotel Buena Vista, hmm. uh, which I highly recommend. It's not part of a big chain. Uh, recently renovated, had a nice pool, beautiful grounds with a coffee farm. Uh, they had villas and hotel rooms. So we were there for a couple of days. I really enjoyed it. Really nice to have a cold pool to jump into in the morning before breakfast. You know, it's really hot during the day, but not that crazy overnight. So we didn't even need AC. Had a ceiling fan and it was fine. While we were in uh, San Jose, we did a butterfly sanctuary. So we drove across town, um, which was kind of on way to a, a family hangout we were doing. And they have a little butterfly sanctuary. It's 12 bucks a person and you get to stand in a big room with tons of butterflies. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I wouldn't expect a lot wow. from it, um, but it's also 12 bucks. They have parking. Yeah. wasn't hard to get to. Pretty decent uh, pizza restaurant right on site with a wood fire oven and that sort of thing. Oh, and the other one that we did before, so then we had the wedding and all that kind of stuff, uh, which was lovely. And then the other thing we did before we left was we visited the Starbucks farm, the original and apparently the only actual farm that Starbucks the brand operates and runs was just eight or nine minutes down like a back road from the hotel where we were staying. And don't get me wrong, Starbucks, especially in North America, deeply basic coffee's okay. That sort of thing. This place was gorgeous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
It looked like something out of huh. Jurassic Park. Uh, the nicest Starbucks I've ever been to, <laughs> right? And you can, if you have time, you can tour the facilities. You can book a tour in advance. It takes an hour and a half or something like that. We just kind of went and they have a, a big Starbucks and, and kind of a nice area perched way up above a big valley that looked like something out of Jurassic Park. And obviously Jurassic Park, the books hmm. set loosely off the coast of Costa Rica. So not that surprising, I suppose. Um, but that was really enjoyable and a nice way to, if you wanted to sit and, and spend some time with some folks and have a coffee, a big coffee culture, obviously in Costa Rica, the coffee was excellent. The Starbucks, the place is called Hacienda is called, so the Starbucks spot is called Hacienda Alsacia or Alsacia. And, uh, I'll put it in the show notes again. My apologies for any pronunciation doing my best here, but it's, it's not my world and just really enjoyed it. It was nice. Uh, the area around the hotel had several like you know, little family restaurants had some incredible birria tacos and the maybe the best hot sauce I've had in a decade with the, it was made with Panamanian huh. chilies and I couldn't get enough of it. It was like really hot, but really flavorful. <laughs> awesome. That and a Diet yeah. Coke on, and, and wow. a few birria tacos were, were really going. <laughs> so after the wedding and, and that we did the, the Starbucks farm and then hopped in the car and the plan was to drive to Nosara. So if you're thinking... It's essentially, it's not really a straight line because there's like an inlet and then essentially a peninsula. And this is somewhat onto the peninsula um, on the way. You know, I looked at the distance. This is very silly and very a very James thing to do. So I looked at the physical distance from San Jose to Nosara or the more popular and a little bit more coordinated, if you will, Samara, which is just down, down the coast. Um, yeah. And I think it's a very normal drive to go from San Jose to Samara. And then it's another, you know, 45 minutes-ish or so to Nosara. So it's about 250 kilometers, give or take. Yeah. And I looked at that and I thought, well, even, you know, probably a highway going from the main part of the country to, you know, a populated, a very popular sort of um, area. And you could do part of it on a highway. Their maximum speed limit's 80 kilometers an hour. It's 50 miles an hour. And on top of that, once you get a certain distance with traffic and everything, you're not touching 80. Huh. 80 would be the equivalent of just absolutely cooking. Yeah. Traffic was pretty heavy pretty much everywhere we went. And then for the last, definitely the spot from Samara to Nosara, the roads are genuine, fully rutted dirt roads. Mm. Mm-hmm. Big rocks. Um, definitely thought we were going to get a puncture. So I think the drive from San Jose to Nosara that first day was like almost eight hours with a stop for lunch. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think in my mind, I thought it would be like three to three and a half. So it's just dead wrong. So that, that's <laughs> one thing to consider. Right now, Google's saying five hours, 16 minutes for yeah. 264 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. Which would be, what, 170 miles? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. I had only booked from the 20th to the 22nd in Nosara, and I probably should have added a whole other day because you lose you know, 14, 15 hours of time in Nosara driving there sure. and back. Yeah. Um, the drive was lovely. Some great food along the way. Uh, wasn't really a stressful drive until we got to the terrible part of the road in the dark. Mm. And there's motorcycles and tour buses. Everybody's passing everybody. I, and I really love this. I love driving. I love a, a new driving scenario. I love driving in other countries. So not a big deal. But when you add in like an hour and a half of just slamming, you know, really being jostled around. Yeah. <laughs> By the time yeah. we got out of the car, it was kind of like, all right, I am genuine. I'm pretty happy that <laughs> we've made it, right? 
Yeah, and I'm looking at the map and and the, where Nosara is and Samara, it, it's on the Nicoya Peninsula. And and yeah, for those that that might be familiar to those that have seen or read uh, Dan Butner's uh, Blue Zones, um, which is kind of examines the areas of the world that have the longest lived people, and he kind of examines what what it is about their lifestyles and diets and and the people there, the culture um, that makes people live you know, two and past 100 years old. And the Nicoya Peninsula is one of those uh, kind of global blue zones. So um, interesting to, to see that on the map. Yeah, no, it was it was fascinating. My, my wife is a, is a huge fan of the blue zones uh, show and, and has followed uh, Dan's work for some time. So she was giving us sort of a, a little download on all of that, which is, is really quite fascinating. And, and I kind of understand why, you know, we got out to Nosara and you could tell, you know, it had that beach town vibe where they were clearly costa ricans and locals and then there was like another layer of like expats and and you know uh people who were clearly from other parts of the world and that sort of thing uh, i if i go back someday i would love to produce like a a coffee table book of the vehicles oh sure yeah uh not a jeep country from what i could tell very yeah. few we saw a few there it's not like none yeah but so many land rovers and toyotas oh. so many oh sure yeah like at parked right in front like as a display in front of the starbucks there's a gorgeous uh, vintage Land Cruiser pickup, fully restored. Oh, nice. Uh, green with the with the full wood back, white wheels. Uh, I'll see how much of this I can put in photos in, in the show notes. Really, really good. And just, I saw some of the most incredible Land Cruisers and uh, Pajeros and Monteros. And there's just like incredible off-road vehicles there. And, and now I kind of understand why. Yeah, We ended up with uh, Suzuki Vitara, which had four-wheel drive, which obviously we didn't need. It was very dry, so that was fine. But just a little hatchback, good on fuel. I couldn't, I, I asked both in my original booking and when I picked it up for something with a stick, mm-hmm. which they didn't have, so it was an automatic, um, which is probably the only thing I didn't love about the car, but it had CarPlay otherwise, so really easy to get around and use it and uh and use it for navigation it was good on fuel had enough room for lots of suitcases and four adults so really can't complain there's so many vehicles that i that you see when you visit central america and you go like why aren't these popular back home yeah yeah. like a little hatchback with four-wheel drive feels like an absolute win in toronto Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you could park it anywhere the fuel economy was great yeah um it was comfortable it had enough tire to deal with how bad the roads were and then not only did it have like a little dial, like a lot of vehicles do to switch it into, you know, four wheel, it had locking diffs. Mm, wow. Yeah. Like a little Suzuki. Yeah. Yeah. Probably outcrawl most of the vehicles I've ever owned yeah. up, up until maybe the Jeep. Right? <laughs> right. Right. And it probably weighed about half what the Jeep weighed. Yeah. Or it does weigh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the vehicles were cool. Uh, just, I mean, we, we drove into Nosari in the dark and stopped at this place called Blue Garza, which is like a grocery store and there's a restaurant and and that sort of thing. And in the parking lot, just two down from us, was a lifted um, Land Cruiser pickup truck. Mm. So a, a two-cab, yeah, like a four-seater with a short, like essentially a, a, an older version of like a Toyota, but a Gladiator, the formula that they used for the Jeep Gladiator. Yeah. And we left, and it left in front of us, and I drove behind it for a while. And I was like, man, I really hope I get to see that in the sunlight. Because <laughs> uh, it was just, it was stunning. It was like tall and looked really mean and... And you know the big Toyota on the on the gate. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> we did learn that uh, you know Nosara has essentially no centralized area. Hmm. It's just kind of sprawling. There's a restaurant here, and then it's a neighborhood of homes, and then another two or three restaurants, and then it's the beach where there's other things. And 
if you go into Samara, there's kind of a, a downtown area and then that sprawl kind of continues. Yeah. So it was good. Like I said, the drive took a little while uh, simply because you don't move very quickly. I think I, I calculated the average speed between 35 and 40 kilometers an hour mm. when it all when it all shook out. So that that gives you, a, I think if you planned to get around 40 kilometers an hour anywhere you go in, at least in my experience of Costa Rica, that would give you a pretty accurate timeline. Yeah. And Google was pretty accurate. Uh, Google and Waze. Waze is super popular. Uh, which is awesome. I, I'm a big Waze fan, and um, and those numbers ended up being quite accurate, plus minus gas and food stops. So mm-hmm. like it would be anywhere. Yeah. So it was pretty good. Uh, we had like a jungle house in Nosara that we got on vacation rental by owner, VRBO. That's not an ad. Paid full price, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it was great. Really easy. Uh, kind of a no contact setup. Yeah. Uh, to get in there and uh, had a little tiny like. A dunk pool that you could sit your feet in or, or kind of dip into, which was nice and cool, especially in the heat. There are monkeys around and that sort of thing, which is fun. Uh, it's right down the street from a big lodge where we could get food if we only wanted to walk. And otherwise, there was tons of great restaurants. Nice. I didn't have a bad yeah. plate of food. Um, actually, had some really incredible food. Even found a pretty decent IPA, uh, a local IPA, um, which I'll, I'll find in my photos and, and include in the show notes if, if you happen to need a chance to try it out. An exceptional one, really. And then Sarah and I did a couple of dives uh, on the one kind of full day that we had in uh, in the area. So we drove back down to Samara. We did a couple dives with the Samara Dive School, which is the local option. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say it was kind of a mixed experience. Uh, you know, the dive school was currently between dive boats. They had one <laughs> boat that wasn't running, so they were renting a fishing sure. boat. So we had seven divers plus two DMs uh, on a, I don't know, I, I don't want to be wrong, maybe a 20-foot fishing boat, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. So it didn't really have a ladder, didn't have a dive platform. Where I was kind of put off was they were, they were quite insistent on setting up all the gear. Hmm. So buddy checks became a really... I just don't like that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what, what are we doing for weight? He's like, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'll pick your weight. And oh, I was geez. like, well. <laughs> and like he picked, don't get me wrong. I'd want to be fair to the guy. Nice guy. Really, really super friendly guy. Good diver, all that kind of thing. And he guessed right. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't wrong. Yeah. But also like I would rather have the conversation. It's my weight. Right, right. You know what I mean? So, you know, they hand it to you and we just triple checked everything. Yeah. I didn't have fins the right size. I told them, you know. I'm around, you know, for a fin, I like it. I like a really tight fin. So mm-hmm. I usually go down a number. Mm-hmm. So I told them, you know, between a 10 or 11 is fine. And they gave me a fin that's, that's was written in Sharpie on it, 11 to 13. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was, I basically, thankfully it was a bit of like a drift surge dive. So I just avoided kicking. But if I had to actually kick hard, one would just pop right oh, off. Geez. Um, so a few times where I knew we were trying to make a, a transit, I would like pull the fin and push my whole the whole front of my foot through like the nose oh yeah hole the yeah. toe hole yeah yeah <laughs> and that would give me you know two minutes of kicking before it slipped <laughs> off so little complaints that sort of thing um the f- diving wasn't expensive it was about 100 bucks a person for two dives on a boat which is pretty cheap um it really che- that's that's cheap almost anywhere you go in um in my experience in the americas uh but yeah didn't didn't love some of the protocols and that sort of thing but the diving was fine and we were on the boat with some people who had been with this with Samara dive school for like weeks yeah uh we're diving we're doing a ton of diving in the area and they said like it's you know the conditions change almost every day so we ended up with not incredible viz i'd say the first dive was maybe 20 feet best Mm, mm -hmm. second dive was more like 10 to 15 yeah and the area is kind of known for its kind of rocky formations you're not really coral diving yeah 
lots of fish, lots of uh, biodiversity and, and, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, it's mostly these rocky formations, like little mountains under the water, or pinnacles, as they're more commonly known. Mm-hmm. And we saw some white tips, which is always fun. Well, you know, some you know, white tip reef sharks, rays, puffers, eels. Sadly, no turtles or mantas, which are kind of the two things I was hoping Sarah would get a chance to uh, see and dive with. Uh, but, you know, to be clear, it's kind of like a slice of pizza. I'm, I'm pretty happy regardless of how it goes. Yeah. It's just nice to be in the water and, and to get two more dives on Sarah's logs and that sort of thing. So it was good. It was a good experience. If you were really serious about diving in the area, you would probably either go north, like up to Coco, or uh, like into that area. And, and at that point, you're probably going to dive out of Liberia. You, like, you'd fly to Liberia and just stay on the west side of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, or you go south, like closer to Santa Fe. And, uh, you know, I, some of the research I've done is if you're really going for more of a dive vacation, you probably wouldn't necessarily pick Samara unless there was something specific you were looking for. Yeah. Um, it seems to be more of a, uh, a middle option, uh, but I, I enjoyed it and it was fun. And I think if, you know, if you went maybe a different time of year than we were there and I didn't pick, we didn't pick the strip for diving. We just added the diving in, but I think if you picked a different time of year, they said, oh, well, you know, it's whale sharks, it's. Uh, humpbacks it's mantas it's you know it can change and they have kind of specific dive seasons so i I would say this is a scenario where your research goes a long way and i can't wait to get back and do more diving uh but i would probably do one i'd probably shoot to do it uh probably further north this would be my would be my my at least from what i read but my guess is there's tons of options yeah and like i said if if you're just there down for a vacation otherwise and you can attach a day worth it worth the hundred bucks yeah I can't be super picky, especially I think if they had had a, a proper normal dive boat in service and these things happen. I mean, it's Central America. It can be different, very difficult to get things serviced when you're this far from other things. So it is what it is. And, and you know, luck wasn't on our side for that case. But I think if you did go down and had the boat and, and, and the viz was a little bit better, apparently we were too close to full moon. Hmm. So mm-hmm. there was just uh, something had kind of washed in and it had blown out the viz in a few areas. So wasn't bad, uh, but it you know it wasn't w- nothing like what we experienced in Cosimo mm-hmm. in August, for example, yeah. um, which is kind of like about as good a reef dive as I'm going to get probably in this part of the world. Yeah, I'd always heard that Costa Rica was not kind of well known for its diving either on the Caribbean side or the Pacific side, and and when I was in Ecuador last summer, I was with a couple of uh, manta researchers from Costa Rica, and they they kind of said that but yet they obviously enjoy living there and diving there because of the opportunity to see some some big critters and and this sure. this has been a very strange winter i mentioned at the top here about the weather here being unseasonably warm um and when i was in ecuador they were talking about the effects of el nino on the pacific and and you were kind of you know <laughs> a couple thousand probably uh, kilometers north of where i was but still it's the same effect it's this kind of strangely um, kind of superheated Pacific uh, currents uh, this winter that are kind of doing all sorts of weird stuff with visibility and and animal migrations and that sort of thing. So, um, but you know, like like you said, I mean, it's the kind of thing where if you're going to a country like Costa Rica, which I've always wanted to visit, and there's so much going for mm-hmm. it in terms of jungles and mountains and coffee and food, etc. Like tag on a dive. I mean, it's, uh, look, as yep. the expression goes, a, a bad day of diving is kind of better than a good day of doing yep. almost anything else. So that's uh, that's great that you were able to do that. Yep. And at no point did I feel at no point did I feel unsafe or like, you know, sometimes you do get the vibe where you're like, these people just need to get as many people on the boat as possible. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like that. It was relaxed. Yeah. 
It was comfortable. We had a really nice time. I would dive with like if we get back to Costa Rica, you know, I now have some family that's going to be there at least part of the year. Uh, so I definitely plan on getting back to the country. And if I ended up in Samara, I would not question spending the hundred bucks to go back out and try a couple more dives. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only so much that a dive shop can control. Yeah. One last note on the diving is if you do decide to dive with the Samara Dive School uh, and you decide you can either meet them that morning if you don't e- send them an email with your sizes and all that stuff, you can meet them at the dive shop and then they drive to the beach or you can just meet them at the beach. So we met them at the beach and it was supposed to be at 730. Yeah. So of course, being me, we were there at 725, <laughs> five minutes early for everything. And we were the only ones there. So we they said, you know, meet uh, basically at the end of the beach near Samara Deep Sea Fishing. Mm-hmm. So we went there. We walk up to Samara Deep Sea Fishing, which is just like a cool hut, yeah. basically cement pad hut, open facing the ocean. And uh, the fellow there, his name is Seamus, couldn't have been more friendly. He had made too much coffee, so he gave Sarah and I each a cup of coffee, and we chit chatted with him. He had, you know, raised in Florida, lived in California for most of his life, and had just recently, after the pandemic, moved down to take over this business, and was also kind of. It was his boat that they were using for oh, our dive. Okay. Yeah. So there was some some co-work there. Yeah. But please, this guy was super nice. We met his wife uh, on the weekend. The space is also a little bar. like So they got beer. They'll make you a mojito or, or whatever you want. They're just really, really friendly. So if you get down there, we had a really nice chat. If you get down there, please say hi to Seamus and and uh, and say hi for me and, and Sarah. Uh, definitely, it'll be one of the things where if we go back, we'd make a case of swinging back by there. Just really nice. It, it's that exact kind of like islandy thing that I yeah, know. Obviously, that Costa Rica is not an island, but it had that vibe. Yeah, um, it, it was really cool to sit and chat with him and hear about his story of coming to the country and what it's like to kind of learn a whole new culture and and what the area is like and and that sort of thing. So. Uh, that was at uh, Samara Deep Sea Fishing, uh, right at the, literally just at the end of the beach. So if you find it, you'll see the dot is at the end of the beach. Just keep walking. There's nothing left <laughs> after that. It's like a very steep wall, and and you're out you're out of space there. So nice. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it was it was good. Really enjoyed it. Um, we like I said, we probably booked one day too few. So the next day we got up, had to leave the VRBO, and knew we had the drive, and I didn't want to do um, the drive too late i wanted to get to the hotel in time to actually have dinner but we came back had a had gotten a hotel in that parking lot where the where you drop off the rental so we had an evening at the hotel i can tell you that domino's pizza in costa rica is not the same um so if you really were hoping for that exact domino's if that's your vibe which it's not really mine but in in a pinch it does (laughs) pizza was okay but it's not like domino's at home if that matters (laughs) and then jump back to the airport in the morning it was very quick everything was easy nicely done well managed yeah uh got in the flight and flew home for some snow (laughs) it's uh uh, thankfully a little above uh freezing here today but came back in a little bit of a storm and and that sort of thing and that and that was uh (laughs) that was six days in costa rica Wow. Sounds, sounds amazing. Um, and that, that's super cool that there's like direct flights to, to San Jose from Toronto. I'll have to look into that from Minneapolis because, uh, Costa Rica's uh, been on the list for a very long time. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So plan, plan to probably be back within a year or two. Um, having been there once, I know it'd be pretty easy to take the kids Yeah, uh, and that sort of thing. So yeah. Uh, yeah. A ni- nice to know that's there and to experience a new place. And like I said, I'm pretty sure that's as far south as I've ever been. Nice. Maybe Clipperton. A little further south. Which was off of Nicaragua, I think. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Anyways, yeah, I, th- I think Clipperton was something like uh, just off of, off of Nicaragua, so yeah. uh, north, north of there. But uh, yeah, I suppose if you have any questions or you're planning on doing some uh, Costa Rican activities, that sort of thing, you're more than welcome to 
uh, drop me an email to the graynado at gmail.com or hit me up in the Slack if I can advise. I'm more than happy to. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Great country, really, really friendly people, probably in many ways similar in pricing to sort of mid-level Hawaii. Um, and, uh, and yeah, really nice. And like I said, I mean, the, the big plus is direct flights. Awesome. New watch, fun trip. Let's uh, wrap it up with some final notes. I have, uh, I actually have two today. Um, one's kind of a quick one. Um, and it is uh, just to make people aware of kind of a, a pretty cool auction that uh, a previous TGN guest has going on right now. Kristen Harila, the Norwegian athlete mountaineer who set the record for climbing the, the 14, 8,000 meter peaks uh, faster than anybody else, um, is auctioning off a, a Bremont S300 that she wore um, climbing, I believe, 12 of the 14 peaks. She brought a few watches with her on that that kind of expedition run going to all of those peaks. And sadly, her uh, Sherpa companion, the, the, the guy who accompanied her on um, all of the 14 peaks, uh, Tenjin Lama Sherpa, uh, died in October of 2023 uh, when he was guiding someone named Gina Marie. I'm not going to get her name right. Uh, Rizuzidlo, uh, I think her name is pronounced. Maybe. Um, anyway, they they died uh, tragically last October, and Kristen is trying to raise funds to find and and recover uh, Lama's body. So to do that, she's got a GoFundMe going, but she's also auctioning off her. Raymond watch and and it runs for as of today another 11 and a half days uh, and the current bid is at uh, $6,000. So if you feel so inclined um to 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 score a, a pretty special watch and uh, contribute to a good cause, check that out. We'll put the link in the show notes and uh, good luck to Kristen uh in that endeavor. So that's that's my first one. Yeah, that's great. I saw that on the Slack when it popped up and uh, obviously a very sad story, but an, a nice thing for Kristen to do to be able to help. And, and yeah, a, ch- a chance at a uh, watch with like genuine mountaineering providence. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What do you have? And I'll, I'll drop mine in here. Uh, so I was actually going to pick this, <laughs> the same thing that you did for your, your second one. So I'll leave that to oh, you. Yeah. But the other thing that I got through, uh, I, I didn't get through a lot of podcasts or that kind of stuff. So I have a big backlog but I did make a, a point of watching uh, a show that I've had um, downloaded for some time and finally got to, and that's Poker Face. Uh, and I just I really, really enjoyed it. It's not like another show I've ever seen. I shouldn't really be surprised by that because it's Ryan Johnson, who's one of my favorites. So if you remember Knives Out or the the sequel, that's Ryan Johnson. It has that sort of lighthearted goofiness mixed with serious elements all at the same time, which he does so well. It's beautifully shot. The show is just wall-to-wall fun. The concept is very simple. Natasha Leone, who's the star, has uh, a special ability to tell when someone's lying to her. <laughs> and the show is essentially about people who tried to profit from that ability. Huh. She didn't want that to happen. She ended up on the run. And it's about her. Every episode is kind of a new space, a bit of a new crime, uh, where she's you know picking up odd jobs in various towns and spaces around America and gets tied up in these crimes and her ability allows her to kind of see through some of the lies or all of the lies and put things together. So it's these, it has a gumshoe vibe to it. It it has some really fantastic dialogue. Everything's really beautifully shot and every single episode's kind of a capsule on its own. And then there's an overarching sort of plot line. This is kind of remind me of X-Files where an episode might be about one storyline that starts and ends in that episode, Mm -hmm. like a bottle. But, there's always an overarching theme 
that's carried through the episodes of her running from these people who did her wrong and are upset with her and, and that sort of thing. I just absolutely loved it. I, I finished it on the plane yesterday. And the, the added plus of this is uh, Tom Place, who you know from uh, several places on the internet, including the TGN Slack. Uh, he is a, a, you know, a friend of the show and hopefully a future guest. He was recently on um, Teddy's uh, channel for some great stuff. Tom is a uh, stuntman and a stunt coordinator, and he was the stunt coordinator for several of the episodes, which is really cool. And uh, kind of you know hits home with uh, with watching it and really enjoying it. And some of the stunt work is is incredible, as you'd assume. I can't recommend it enough. I, I really enjoyed it. I would say you know the 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 language is, is sort of at the adult level, so it's probably not for for kids or that sort of thing. And, and a lot of the kind of topics are fairly mature. Uh, but I really enjoyed it and highly recommend Poker Face if that sounds like something you'd like. I think you'd get the vibe in the first 20 minutes but definitely one or two episodes you'd know exactly what you're in for and every episode is a chance for these incredible um you know single single episode uh cameos from great actors so we got ron perlman nick nolte joseph gordon levitt uh chloe sevigny uh it goes on every episode has has some people you haven't seen in a while tim meadows it's great amazing really enjoyed it very cool. Yeah, it's, it's on my list, and uh, I've been meaning to check that out. And and congrats to Tom for the the Emmy nomination for his stunt work on that show. Totally, really cool. and well deserved. Yeah, it was got awesome. Yeah, yeah. And other than that, before you get to yours, I am uh, just putting this out there. I will get to True Detective season four. I really want a moment to just not have any distractions when I get to it. Yeah, the season season one is my favorite TV show of all time. Mm-hmm. My favorite single season of anything ever. Um, so I always put a pretty high bar on it. So I'm avoiding every True Detective discussion on Slack currently. <laughs> uh, thank you, people. Uh, thankfully, people have been very clear that when they're starting threads that might have spoilers, it's it's in the title of the thread. So we're good so far. Um, but I, I've heard only good stuff. So that's oh, I think yeah. probably where I'm going next. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. All right. So what's your uh, your second? It's a goodie. Yeah, it is a good one, and it also has a TGN connection to uh, kind of a good friend of the show as well as a past mm-hmm. guest. Um, it is uh, the deep track. We, you know, a couple episodes ago, we had uh, Blake Bettner on, who just kind of started this new podcast, the Deep Track, uh, and he's had some some pretty killer guests on so far. Most recently, our chum and Slack moderator Chris Soul uh, was was the guest on just this past week. I just listened to it actually last night, and uh, it's a great discussion. I mean, both are super nice guys, and and I love how they just nerd out on the intersection between diving and watches and, you know, Blake being kind of a new diver and having gotten a lot of good diving advice from Chris when he was, uh, kind of embarking on getting certified and getting some experience diving. Um, you know, the, the two of them just, just kind of go on about it, uh, in, in the show. And it's, it's really fun discussion. Uh, you know, they talk about watches and Chris's background and how he acquired his, uh, his Seiko monster and has worn it on all of his dives. And, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a good chat between two good guys. And so I, I recommend it as well as uh, just simply subscribing to the deep track. If you're looking for another kind of podcast in the same vein as TGN, you know, kind of the intersection of adventure and travel and watches and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, check it out. That's awesome. Yeah, it's on, it's on my list. I saw the name and I was thrilled. Um, you know, we couldn't be bigger fans of, uh, of Chris and certainly of Blake as well. He was on the show recently, like you mentioned. So I'm, I'm super excited to jump back into my podcast and probably kick off with that. Uh, might even be my companion for the first part of my treadmill session, uh, in the next <laughs> few minutes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I hope that wasn't too much about my, uh, my recent trip. Um, there'll be more in future episodes about future trips, uh, that, uh, I'm on as well, but we have a great guest 
that we're very excited about for next week. And other than that, you know, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or even consider supporting the show directly, you can grab yourself a new TGN sign NATO. Just visit thegraynado.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Khalil Gibran, who said, Let your home be your mast and not your anchor. <laughs>